Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolow. And we're coming to you on WPPB for the last time and at the spot for the last time next week. I know. Like, uh, you're listening at 11 in the morning on a Sunday if you're listening live. Uh, but next week, we are magically like the... <laughs> The caterpillar that will <laughs> cocoon and blossom into the butterfly be on a radio station called WLIW, same 88.3, because they have merged in, in that beautiful way that uh, everything is merging these days. Yes. And, and we're on at 4 p.m., so you're listening in the afternoon. Yeah, you'll be You listening. did not oversleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you did. Yeah, maybe you I did. I mean, it's possible. But uh, it seems like a good time for us to take a little walk down memory lane with some of our uh, the shows we've done over the past two years. Yeah. And, well, uh, well, before we do yeah. that, Bridget, you yeah, know, yeah, like, yeah. like, you know, for those of you who have listened or, or maybe this is your first time, Bridget and I know each other since we're uh, tweenagers. Uh, we went to high school together. We went to the senior prom together. Our, our lives diverged soon thereafter. And uh, we went on and, and both cast our own shadows before both arriving back on the East End at different points. And so I would actually like, it's something we probably should have done two years ago, but I would actually like, if you don't mind, to just ask you a couple of questions about your your journey in life. Oh, how exciting. And I get to ask you? Absolutely. Oh, yes. Absolutely. So, so Bridget, this. like, like, how did you end up on the East End when you did end up on the East End? And, and why has it kept drawing you back? That's a, that's a great question, which is what everybody that we've ever had on the show says when they're trying to think of an yeah, answer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, wow, that's a really great question. How do I answer that question? The truth is, uh, you know, we were both brought up on the Upper West Side in mm -hmm. New York City. We went to Trinity together. And, and by my, the way, there is no high like a Trinity high. <laughs> that's what For except, all you kids out there. Yeah, that's right. But uh, we, you know, my parents always either rented out here or my dad had a house out here. And I really ended up out here because... Um, at around 18 or 19 years old, I was just, I was lost. Um, I, I didn't, I went to Brown, but I didn't stay. And, and, and what, what, yeah, I, I know that that's part of your journey. What did not fit about the, or the institutionalized university experience for you at that moment? And I, I say this as your friend. Yeah. You're, you're brilliantly, uh, smart and, t and, and funny and curious and a seeker. And you've spent your whole life trying to improve your mind. And yet when you were in college, 18, 19, uh, somehow, uh, it, it's it, at least the rumors I got way down yeah. in Philadelphia. Oh, I want to hear about uh, these. Were, were just that uh, yeah, we were you, both were, you were acting out. I was acting out. <laughs> well, you know, I always had an opportunity to act out. I had a very wonderful, you know, understanding upbringing, um, and and I was in the acting school and all that kind of stuff. And I think, um, you know, when we started our senior year, I was sixteen, and that's because I took a year off from school before I went to high school. Did you know that? That I, I did not. See, I, I, yeah. I know none so, of this stuff. So I graduated high I school. I took a at year off from school in high school. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> I know so. you did. You were the one sleeping in the back. No, but but the truth is, I started my senior year at sixteen. There's no one's at fault here. I took a year off, and I really don't share this with many people. I took a year off between middle school and high school, during which I, I studied medieval literature and I took a graduate level course at Yale. Um, I was and yet, when you, and yet when you were at Brown, you you just it, it didn't fit. I, I you know what? I think I was already on a, a, a pretty dangerous course that lasted a couple more decades, actually. Okay. Okay. And uh, and it's called pulling a geographic. So I pulled a geographic up to Rhode Island, which was totally fun. 
and loved it and had a great time going and, you know, hearing all these great bands that went on to become like huge, like, you know, nine people in the audience at a Talking Heads concert, you know, st- sitting at the on the stage and talking to the edge, you know, and it was just like it was it was a party. And, and I took a hostage. I took my, my first husband, my husband, Randy, and we moved back to New York City. And that worked for a little while. And I went to grad school. I was in grad school at 18 or 19 years old. Without and having gotten a degree without, in undergraduate yes. school, which alone is very impressive. Well, thanks. I mean, you know, prodiginess kind of burns out on you. <laughs> and uh, and what happened is I just like I ended up, um, my dad had a house in Amagansett, and uh, and I went to him after kind of not eating or sleeping for, I don't know, three or four days and basically said, uh, if I stay in the city, I'm going to die. Cause that was my truth at the time. Mm-hmm. It might've been a little melodramatic, but it was true. Um, and I, I still believe that it was true that if I had stayed there, I probably would have ended up, you know, outside a club like river Phoenix or, or something along those lines. Right. And, um, and my dad, um, very kindly, um, offered me his house and then we bu- we bu- we built a house together in Amagansett and I lived out here for years and and my first job out here was um was at the East Hampton Star uh reading the proofing strip being a proofreader reading the strips with Glide Hart and uh and a couple of other people who are familiar names out here and and, and was that what kindled your interest in journalism or had you kind of had that and it satisfied it no you know I never I didn't really have an interest in journalism uh but yeah, that made me, I don't know. It just made me interested. I just kind of go where, where I'm wanted. And I was, I was wanted there. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, a few years later, 1993, we started the independent Jim Mack and Lee Minitri, Jody Della Femina and I, I was 29. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's interesting to also see that this week, uh, the independent and Dan's papers are merging into what I wanted to call the Dan dependent. But nobody listens to what, what, what will it be called? It's, I think it's being uh, Dan's Independent Media. I think Dan's, it's, it's, and so Dan comes first in the, uh, above the titles. I, I don't know. It might be different by the time we, we air this show. But, it it uh, makes sense. i got to say, yeah. as, as somebody who is, is, hasn't worked for either but has read both, I find that what the Independent does really well is what would improve Dan's paper, and what Dan's paper does really well is what would improve the Independent. So yeah, it's a good match. It's a good match. It's, it's a right. good match. And, and then, and then but, no, no, I'm going to ask, before we segue to, 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 to you, to me, um, <laughs> uh, so, so you're out here, you're getting your footing, uh, and, and you, you meet your husband, Eric. Um, and, and, and I already had a baby. I already had Georgia. You already had a baby. Yeah. Um, but you start, uh, you know, putting down some roots and yes. then for any number of reasons, you guys, uh, go up to New Hampshire and open up an inn. What happened was <laughs> Eric and I, he, Eric went, graduated high school. He went to East Hampton high school, but he graduated from a place called Proctor in New Hampshire. And he went up for his 20th anniversary or 21st. They have some weird, some weird, you know, right. way of doing it. And I, and I literally said, well, what are we going to do in New Hampshire for a whole weekend? And, you know, P.S. My father had just died. This was in 2001. This is June of 2001. And, uh, and we went up there and I did what I always do, which is like, Ooh, I, I got like a homes and land magazine. Remember homes and land magazine? And I'm circling houses. I'm like, Holy cow. Like there are places up here that are 20 acres for, you know, $150,000 with an old Victorian house with like this, just, you know, whatever. So we were, we were, and we were having a really deep discussion. Um, I wasn't happy out, out here for, for many, many reasons. Um, at that time, at that time, no. And you know what? We, we had a couple of years of, uh, of living a clean and sober life under our belt. So our conversations were more heartfelt and profound. And Eric was having a lot of trouble with his work. And, you know, his work is very, my husband's an art mover and, and, uh, and, and installer and curator. 
and he was really having trouble. We didn't really know why, but he was losing a lot of his strength and stuff. It turned out he had lung cancer. Oh, my Lord. And um, we didn't know that at the time, but we did know that our lives were kind of, with my dad passing and, and having a little bit of cash, um, that our lives might pivot, as they say these days, into something else. And we were driving down Route 89, and Eric said, maybe we'll see a sign. And the next street sign that we saw an exit was exit nine, one Oh three Warner Bradford and one Oh three, as you know, is my birthday, October 3rd. And Warner is my family name. Mm -hmm. And Bradford is Eric's family name. He's oh, descended, yeah, town. He's descended from William Bradford. So we got off in the town of Warner. Yeah. That was my second day ever in New Hampshire. A month later, we went back to look at a house and my fourth day in New Hampshire, we were signing closing papers. Wow. And if you want to understand maybe that the universe was, I don't know, syzygistically aligning. We decided to move up to New Hampshire. And the day that Eric was taking our first bunch of stuff across on the ferry was September 11th, 2001. Okay. And, um, and then, so, right. yeah, and, and it was just weird. Not to, not to give 9 uh, any short shrift. No, uh, of course. But, but then what brought you back to the East End? Uh, what brought us back to the East End, unfortunately, was uh, my father dying in a different way, which was his company, uh, Tavern on the Green and the Russian Tea Room and all of that, um, because the city of New York didn't uh, didn't renew our, our, our lease on this national landmark. Uh, we were kind of forced to drop everything, Eric and I, and come back here. Uh, we could no longer live. Uh, owning an inn in New Hampshire is really nice when you have a steady, um, a steady stipend coming in from a restaurant in New York City that is the top financial restaurant in the United States. But once that was over, um, it left Eric and I in a very precarious position, and we knew that we could make money back here. So yes, we came, came back. back because of opportunity. We came back because and, of opportunity. And I would say, because I moved here full time just under five years ago, and uh, you moved back here, but moved here full time. And I would say one of the things that, that has impressed me so much about watching you, you and Eric is how ubiquitous you guys seem to be in so many different conversations out here. Uh, you, you, you have a ball of energy and a ball and, and, and a true, it seems like both of you, a true interest in being part of the community in a way that uh, I think is very inspiring. Well, that's really sweet. I, you know, I feel that way everywhere I go. I guess I am a people person because okay. I love... I love uh, just learning about people. Everybody has a backstory. Everybody you meet has something, has, has a story of joy and sorrow. And that's kind of the, the basis of this show, of how we got around. Absolutely. But let's, let's talk sure. a little about your journey to the East End, because like me, you, you well, kind of take spent a break, summers. and then we'll come back and, and talk about me. You are so good about that. You're <laughs> listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. And Alex Ocker. And we're coming to you on 88.3 WPPB at 11 a.m. Next week, we'll be on WLIW, at same station. Right. 4 p.m. Same, same, same tea, bat channel. High tea and scones and <laughs> scintillating dialogue. There you go. We'll be right back after this. It's a beautiful day. We're back. Sunday's on the East End with Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolow. And um, Sok, so we, we, we just had a chance to kind of catch up on, on me. And, and I just wanted to add a quick P.S. When we did come back here, we came back with a total bankruptcy. Um, mm. We were, you know, relying on the kindness of friends to put us up. We were getting our food from the food pantry. So I feel very strongly right yeah, now people about... People should support the food pantry. Absolutely. Support anything uh, that gives back to, to people who at the present moment could use a hand. Yes, because I was one of those people. I was yeah. a person who fed my three children by food from the Springs Food Pantry, and uh, and I'm very, very grateful for that And until I got back on my feet. And yeah. 
back with the independent, but let's talk about you. Cause you also kind of had a similar childhood in the sense of, yeah, work. no. All right. So, you know, I think my journey, uh, you know, my journey as a person and my journey as a writer are two very different things. My journey to the East end is, is kind of ingrained in both of those uh, aspects of me. Uh, much like you, my, we were city. It's, you know, my yeah. folks, um, and showbiz city. Yeah. Well, like actually, that. but what brought us out here originally, my dad, uh, in the sixties worked for a guy named Sam Shore who had an art publication, a house in the, the village, uh, Sherwood press. And Sam, uh, you know, had a, a house out in Bridgehampton and in the, he kind of took my dad under his wing. Is that why Sam is named Sam? Your brother, I, Sam? I don't think so. Okay. I actually don't know for sure, but I don't think so. But um, he was very avuncular uh, to my dad and, and took him under his wing and, and uh, really drew my folks out here in the late 60s, early 70s. And, and so they uh, then took my sister, my, my brother, uh, who was a baby then, and me, and, and started bringing us out here on weekends. And then at that time, they would rent year round. And so we would also do the holidays. We do, uh, you know, the, the winter holidays and stuff. And, and so, you know, my, my connection to the East End uh, is in a way filled with all these very warm, emotional, gray memories. And just um, so people don't think that you were, you know, the, I mean, I know you were sweeping up a, the, the courts. Oh, I the worked. Tennis club. I worked. You worked no, your it's ass actually off. funny. I mean, it was a simpler <laughs> time because my folks would leave me and my sister out here when we were at 13 and 14. And, uh, they were members of, of a club that was at that time called the Bridgehampton Rack and Surf Club. And, uh, we got jobs there. You know, I don't know what, how they swung that, but we got jobs there. And, uh, yeah, it wasn't I, I, easy. Uh, took cabanas out to the beach, uh, uh, you know, worked in the kitchen and as a sous person. It's like Caddyshack, but kind of the, stuff. But with sand. Yeah. And, and made friends I still have to, to this day. Um, and so I had that connection, uh, you know, years later as, as I come through school and, and, and you talk about this. Yeah. My, my family had, uh, my, my folks had this very unique thing and that my dad worked in, the art world it kind of worked a little bit in counterculture publishing and and my mom who who also uh went to college at 16 uh she went to temple um she during the time that my sister and i were, were really young stopped working they met at um it wasn't tv guy but it was a magazine like that um they, they, had, they had that in office romance yeah and, um, oh my goodness and and then uh she went back to work and had this like meteoric ascension from being a part-time reader of scripts for Robert Stigwood, uh, who was trying to, you know, pass the shadow in the film business at that time. And, right. and within five years was running Warner Brothers lit department on the East Coast. And don't you think that's funny? I mean, Warner Brothers is my background and your mom was, I mean, we, we, yeah, we, no, we there's we, a lot of cross pollination. And I remember going to the open because we were such good friends or maybe even dating at that time, going to the opening of thank God it's Friday with you. Oh, I love that. Was when, that at the when, winter garden? Or that something? was when she was at Paramount and that was when the Paramount logo started to disco dance, which was really uh, cool. no, it's not Paramount Columbia. Uh, well, what do I know? Uh, <laughs> what do you mean? What no, do you know? I don't You're think in she film. was at Columbia then though. I think no, it, but because, but it was, it was Columbia because she had the, uh, the, all right, could be the torch. I um, think it was. But anyway, so so yeah, no, I I grew up on the. I, I used to joke that like you know I'm I'm a I'm a Jewish guy who grew up in a rent control apartment on the Upper West Side, uh, and that my only two life choices were to join the Communist Party or join the Writers Guild, and <laughs> and that's like and, 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 and some yeah, would say it's yeah. the same. We were friends in high school. You went to U of P. You graduate. You move out to LA. Yeah, no, I, I, I get out of Penn. I, I study communications in college. They didn't have any kind of screenwriting or film majors then. 
um, and, uh, you know, was really drawn to Los Angeles, was drawn to the entertainment industry. And through a series of, of, you know, jobs and whatever else, I realized that writing was really what I wanted to do. I wanted to live on the screen, not so much be part of the sausage making to get things on the screen. Right. And uh, that was my attraction, still is. And kind of, you know, stumbled through uh, abject failure in my 20s, um, you know, painful abject failure. Uh, but along the way, learn how to be a writer, learn how to be a screenwriter. Uh, met uh, a writer who I collaborated with for over a quarter century, Joel Cohen. And we decided to become experts in, in buddy filmmaking right. because we figure that every decade, every studio makes those movies where it's like, you know, two stars going on a journey. They're right, polar right, opposites. Right. You know, one's left brain, one's right brain. So the first script we write together uh, becomes a movie called Money Talks that, Money um, Talks, right. that featured uh, Chris, Chris Tucker and Charlie Sheen. I remember that. And, um, and the second script we wrote uh, was a script called uh, The Wind Policeman that never got made, never got option, but it had a character Buzz and a character Woody. And that's a script that Pixar and Disney read. Wait, what was it called? The wooden policeman. The wooden policeman. Yeah, it was a live action. It, it was. Okay. It was. There, there's a phrase in 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 writing of, of you don't want to put a hat on a hat, meaning if you have one idea, it's enough. Right. And and this had a hat on a hat on a hat on a hat on a hat. <laughs> too many ideas in it. So many hats. But it it did get the attention of Pixar and of of Disney back in in the day, and so we were given the opportunity to write Toy Story, which you know was the huge pivot for my career in my life. And, and then I went on the ride out there for a while. A long time. Yeah. Yeah. And I had a really, really great run of doing that. Uh, but all the while I, and I think it's, it's fair to say, at least for me, that, uh, show business is really an unhealthy environment and it, it kind of sucks the life out of you. Well, for you. No, no, I, th I, th I actually, well, I think for most people that have a soul, like I think that people, most people have a soul. Yeah. No, I think that like, it's, it's, it's a huge marketplace. And everybody in it is ultimately a melon trying to get sold at a supermarket. And whether, you know, you could be on the top of the pyramid, you can be in the bottom of the pyramid. If you're a melon that gets bruised, um, you know, you end up going from the front row where they put the mist and the, and the light on you yeah. into the smoothies or into the fruit salad. And, and, and that's, the, it's a marketplace. It's but you know, it's really funny. I mean, my, my little foray into screenwriting, you know, with Tom Clavin, who is well known out here, we were partners and we wrote, I don't know, six or seven or maybe more treatments and we got paid really well for I'm some of those saying, treatments. I'm not saying that, no, 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 I'm not saying I mean, that there isn't money to be made. Oh, I know, no, I'm not. I'm just going on a different, uh, on something else, which is just like, you can succeed, but it's not what people think of of as being Hollywood success because nothing we, we wrote ever got made, but we made a living at it for a couple of years. You know I, what I mean? I personally, so I personally found it to be a very transactional place yes. and a place in which uh, it, it was never enough. And I certainly, when I lived out there, I loved a lot of living in Los Angeles. I loved raising my family out there, uh, but I there was no separation and I was really hitting my own crisis. Um, and and found a calling to come back to the East End, and um, you know had because of the career and because of some of the opportunities and the and the money that I made, was able to buy a house. Comically, we're 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 actually uh, recording in, recording in a house <laughs> in your house that, that has been closed. Uh, or I'm in contract. I'm about to sell. Unfortunately, my marriage didn't last. Our kids are out of the house, and life is kind of kind of take me to yet another chapter, although I'm sure it'll be somewhere on the East End, because this this always felt like home. This is the place. Uh, I think we had, when we had uh, Eric Fischel on, uh, he he said this that Sag Harbor gave him a sense of space. And that mm -hmm. hit me so deeply because, yes, this is my sense of space out here. 
And, uh, and so I've been back for five years and I'm, I'm very Mr. Magoo. I'm very like myopic and, and really I'm not good with technology. I'm really not good with social media. I'm not good with that conversation, that kind of transactional conversation, right. but I am forever interested in ideas and I'm forever interested in the feeling of something. And if anything, I would say being back here has just, um, uh, re, I, I've gone through a rebirth in my soul. And so that's kind of like the heavy winded way of what got me back here. And then we end up with, with this radio show. Well, let's well, take a, let's take a little break and, and, and we'll come absolutely. to how, how we came back in, in touch. We never really completely lost touch, but uh, yeah, but uh, you're listening to Sundays on the East end with Bridget Leroy and Alex. Sokolow. And you're listening to us on WPPB FM soon to be WLIW 88.3 FM. The, the dial is not going to change, but uh, the time the station well. and the time uh, are changing uh, yeah. anon. Yes. Yes. Next week we will be on at 4 PM with the guests. Our guests next week are United. We laugh, Richie Byrne and, uh, and Jim Banks is Dr. A, Jim a, Banks is a talk about uh, yeah. comedy and racism. Absolutely. They, <laughs> they, they have a very interesting initiative that we're going to talk about next week yeah, uh, called yeah. United. We laugh. And, and, uh, and, and that is kind of, you know, uh, hopefully what the show will, will aspire to be, we'll get out of the way a little bit more. Yeah. Well, so, uh, we're going to take a little break and, uh, we'll be right back. Cool. And all I can do is just pull some teeth for two and speak my point of view, but it's not safe. It's not safe. So we're back. Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy and Alex Sokolow. And we're coming to you from Alex Sokolow's home. Uh, at the <laughs> okay. moment, although and when w- you hear this, I mean, it might not, I might not be here anymore. Right, right, right. Uh, we're here anywhere. in the slums of Sagaponic, as you like to call I, it. Yeah, that's where we're, 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 we're <laughs> north of the railroad track, uh, south of the, the dump, uh, west of the airport. <laughs> And uh, east of... Um, well, let me, can I just tell you, never be a real estate agent, okay? Because that is not how you sell a place. Uh, yeah, you're close to the dump and the train. Through my, uh, all of that, I somehow got it sold. So, anyway, listen, yeah. we've done a little background about you and me, and, and we went to high school together, and, and how we ended up back here. Um, how did we end up with this show? Well, Remind, this is the craziest thing. Yeah, you know, so when, when I knew I was moving back here, uh, you were my first email um, for, for a couple of reasons. Uh, you know... One was I was dealing with a, a personal crisis in my family that, that you could help me with, and I, I needed a tender ear. But the 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 second one though was was I I didn't really know too many people. I knew that you were out here and, and had really set up a, a life out here, and uh, and also uh, Emma was you know yeah. and my sister uh, Emma Walton you know, Hamilton. And uh, and when I got out here, we would have breakfast uh, every week. Uh, we did you know, we, or know, wherever. Somewhere we just go and we shoot the shit and have breakfast. And at some point, you were saying, "Hey, we should do a podcast, or we should do a radio show." And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah sure, we should do a podcast. We should do a radio show." And uh, then uh, about two years ago, or maybe just shy of two years ago. You called up and said, I think I got us an hour on PPV. And <laughs> yeah, I'm like, and he walked in with, we went in together, didn't we? To talk to Dr. Wally Smith, uh, until recently, the general manager. Yeah, yeah. Of the and, station. and, you know, uh, I, I don't know if it's a case of uh, us having anything to offer or uh, them just basically saying, ah, you know, kill an hour. Like, well, we'll see. But, but we started, we started <laughs> and we very quickly thereafter said, well, what is our show going to be? What do we want to do? 
you know, we were going to call it conversations with people we like. I know, and but that when, was a little that was a little obnoxious. But we like everybody. Well, I actually don't like I, most not people. not anymore. Uh, I can I I am amused by everybody. Yeah, I don't necessarily like them. Um, but um, what we settled on very quickly, I think, was look, what do we, why are we doing the show? And hopefully, who's our listenership? And we both have this this connection, and and our our, our lives, our present lives, our our spiritual lives, seem intertwined with East End of Long Island. And why not celebrate Long Island? Why not celebrate this part of the world? People who who there's so many people out here doing interesting things. There's so many people uh, who cast their own shadows, amazing shadows in different ways. And why not have a good local? radio show. And also, I mean, it was so, it's so easy. It's for us, it's a bit of cherry picking just because we're lucky enough to have been brought up the way we were. And because you have, you know, the background you do and Hollywood, and I have a lifetime in, you know, basically the arts of newspapers out here, we have like a, a strong pool of people to draw on. We don't, we, you know, it's, it's right. I wouldn't call and, anybody and so, low hanging fruit, but it's not hard for me to make a phone call or you to make a quick phone call to someone of note, if we can say that, like some of our guests. I mean, yeah, well, also the fact that you work at the Independent has really helped because you're constantly uh, interacting and, and, and interviewing uh, people that might make interesting guests for the show. Yeah. So, so we start the show, and, and if I remember correctly, Sophie B. Hawkins was our yeah, first Sophie guest. Yeah, Sophie B. Hawkins, who went to, is also another Trinity escapee, uh, Trinity School, and, and uh, she had a lot of really interesting things to say. Oh, absolutely. Sophie was a great conversation. So there's the structure of, and this fascinates me too, so there's all those songs that led to the song that you can build something great with. Like As I Lay Me Down gave me the material to build a song that was lasting. Well, can I, I ask? I can, because but when then you, there's songs that lead to that too. I just wanted to say there's bad songs and queer songs and kooky songs that lead to those great ones, but they can't all be that amazing. But when, when you did As I Lay toy Me Down. Story. They can't all right, be but, Toy but, Story. But, but, you know, but you know what? Like, like uh, I, just to follow what you're saying, I fail so much. That's one of the things that's so funny because before yes. before that movie came out, Toy I had, Story. Toy Story. I had a comically comically failing seven years as a writer, and after that, it's like you get anointed in some way. But I'm actually more mm -hmm. addicted to the failure than I am to the success. I understand that so well because you you know that from that failure in that place is where you actually can create something so radically, I don't know what the word would be, radically what? Um, authentic. Yes. I live for that in people, in places, in things, that authenticity. Yeah. That's what true art is, isn't it? I think so, yeah. Wow, that was great. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just, it's the world needs more Sophie Hawkins. Yeah, yeah, and we've stayed we've stayed close. I I'm, I was really glad to reconnect with her. That was a, a terrific opportunity for friendship and hearing about how her mind works. And she was part of actually the portrait series or the guitar masters series that have been run by G.E. Smith and Taylor Barton at Guild that Hall. That was a great. I you know what I don't fanboy out after too many people, but G.E. Smith. Um, is, is really somebody that I think is so cool and so mysterious still. Getting a chance to, to meet them and, and talk to them was uh, really cool. Because you're, you get to, to work together, you kind of get to call the shots on portraits, you get to invite people that, that you want to play with. Do you feel like you've kind of stripped down to the essence 
of what you love to do the most? Well, we don't strip it down to what we, we cater to what the artist wants to do. But and since it's a small gathering, I mean, like with, with GE, I mean, you kind of get to play the way you want to play. In other words, you don't have to. Yes. You know, my favorite. It's not corporate. My favorite type right. of playing since I was a kid was always backing up a singer-songwriter person. That was always my favorite thing from when I was Not like the front 10. Man. Yeah, right. I always wanted to be a sideman. I thought that those were the guys, I'd look at the old pictures of the jazz bands, you know, and I'd see the cats on the side. That's who I want to be. I want to be friends with them. You know, I want to be so one cool. of those guys. Yeah. And I have to add with GE that I, I just think that is his true gift is that whoever he plays with it doesn't matter who they are whether it's bob dylan or a kid in kindergarten he has this way to put this sheen and magic on whoever he is supporting yeah. and you're That's like the, the wine i don't the, like know the, you know the wine that goes with fish or yeah. whatever yeah. yeah i'm a sommelier <laughs> yeah, you are. sonic sonic sommelier uh, good right. see you are a writer yeah. i like that i like that <laughs> That was so awesome. That was amazing. That was it's amazing. so nice to take this trip Taylor, down memory. Taylor is a superstar. And, she is. And She's an incredible producer. But you know? also and just an incredible spirit. And I love so, her. Um, thankful to, to have gotten to know her. Uh, but then, you know, our show has gone past the entertainment industry. It's yeah. gone past people doing show business stuff. I mean, we've had on... Uh, you know, activists out here. We've had on uh, people. You know, We've had Bonnie Cannon from the Child Care Center. Right, which, by the way, and this goes to, yeah. and this might even speak to the moment we're living in, is that, you know, on the on the Bridgehampton Stag Harbor Turnpike is the Bridgehampton Childhood Center. It's child actually, care. No, we went over this no, right, The Bridgehampton right. Child Care Cent and recreation, and Recreational and Center. And, okay. recreational center. and, and for, for those who, who have driven that road, you know, you drive the road, you might see a building, you might see a sign, but you don't realize necessarily the, the community that lives year round and has for decades uh, the African-American community, uh, by and large, in that area. And, um, and, and Bonnie, uh, you know, runs the center or, or is the, the figurehead that runs the center. Uh, but it was so great to highlight a place like this Absolutely. and really talk about their programs and really talk about their mission statement and, and again, peel back the layer of the, of the you know, sparkly uh, Hamptons and look at people doing amazing things out here. Exactly. When was the center founded? The center actually was incorporated in 1954. Wow. Um, basically, before then, um, the story, it's a, it's a great story for the Bridgehampton Child Care and Recreational Center. And at that time, what was happening is that you would have migrants that basically would come from the south here to um, basically to work you know, as far as farmers uh, and butlers, maids right. working on the farms, that sort well, that, of thing. That was Coach Johnson's story, right? And, th and so that was a, that was a, the that was the story. Yeah. And at that particular time, what happened was that um, the individuals would come; they would work. But they had no place for their children to be while they're working. Yeah. And so this one particular day, the children, they left, this couple left the children in a um, chicken coop. 
They left their kids in a chicken, chicken coop while they went to work. Oh and God. unfortunately, on that particular day, there was a lantern that overturned. Oh, no. And basically, the children were killed. Oh, no. And that tragedy kind of brought the Bridgehampton community. Is it, is it horrible that, like, tragedy is sometimes tragedy. what's needed to begin the change? catalyst? Un- un- unfortunately, that was the yeah. catalyst for the, for the community that came together. There was a doctor that I understand that donated um, the land where the center is now. There used to be a barn there. Um, the house that where we call the administrative office right now, which is going to be coming down. Wow. <laughs> well, we got to talk well, there's about a new that building here. coming up. Yeah, though. there's a new building yeah. that we're going to be breaking ground in 2020. That's um, amazing. There, and so it's like a 7,000 square foot building there. But let me finish the story as far as what happened is that the community came together and they said, no longer will we ever not have a safe place for our kids again. And so that land and the house and the barn was donated. Right. And in 1954, it was incorporated as the Bridgehampton Child Care and Recreational Center, and it's been there ever since. And speaking of activism, one of the most active women out here and artists is April Gornick. Oh, one yeah. Of our, one a- of our first April, uh, you know, if I were to believe in heaven, I know that uh, there's already a space for, for April uh, uh, up in heaven. She, she is spectacular human being. She is. Uh, hum- and- humble, brilliant. And, and again, I think a real example of, of how, uh, you know, people make this place theirs, um, and, and bring their spirit to the table. You can't look anywhere in Sag Harbor without seeing, uh, April and Eric. I mean, together, I mean, between the, uh, the things that she did with the Eastville, um, society and, and, uh, with, uh, and that was way back. And then the Sag Harbor walking tours to now the Sag Harbor cinema. And uh, now the the church, which is going to be hopefully open one the cultural more, center, the cultural center, which uh, is just amazing. But I love listening to April talk about her art and how she came to it. Yeah, and how and, and specifically, you know, how she because she she paints landscapes, how she's part of the landscape, even though you don't see her on the on the canvas. Let's listen to that. And uh, we're here talking with artist activist. Sag Harborite human, human being, being. April mm-hmm. Gornick. Welcome, April. Welcome, April. Thank you for having me. I've been, really been loving listening to your conversation. Thank yeah. you. Oh, I love talking with Alec. That's why we, we I mean, <laughs> that's how the whole idea was like, yeah. hey, maybe we should have a radio show because this is like how we talk all the time. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, great. Yeah, for sure. So let's let's dive in. Let's dive in. Um, I, I know we, we kind of set a table and there's a lot of things that we can touch on, but I, I want to start just because I think it, it creates context with your own personal journey as an artist. You know, just uh, n- not so much the, the events, but the, the almost thematic evolution that you had and the connection to your work. And, and uh, in a way, when you decide to put brush to canvas, w- the philosophy of what you're trying to put forth for people. Well, I used to be really s- trying to be specifically philosophical and explanatory in my work when I was a student in college because I felt conceptual art was very popular and I have took comfort in my own intellect. So I wanted to make art that I could say to a teacher or an observer, I did this because, and I would have lots of reasons. and I'd be have able context. To, or, yeah, I'd yeah. be able to explain my, my material choices, in other words, what I made the things with and, and what I thought it's kind of social impact, blah, blah, blah. I had I had very specific ideas about why I should be doing that. And were and you always drawn to nature in that? No. That well, it snuck in. 
you know, I've looking back on some of the stuff that I made when I was trying to be a conceptual artist, and I was really bad at it. <laughs> I'm very happy to admit that. It's just true. Um, but then what happened was I graduated from actually the Nova Scotia College of Art and Design, which was a hotbed of conceptual art at the time. I went Yay, to Europe. Halifax. Yay, Halifax. <laughs> I went to I went to Europe and I traveled and I came back and I just didn't want to make the same things that I was making and I I I kind of started thinking I need I needed to work with archetypes. I needed to work with something that was universal. I wasn't looking to my own soul for that at the time. I was trying to look everywhere else. And then one day in my studio, I'd gotten sort of obsessed with the idea of how could you, how could you put light in something? Okay. (laughs) I did not think about painting as a solution for this. (laughs) Of course, painting, great paintings live on light. I mean, it's, it's the thing that, that, generates responses in people I think as much as anything it's right. like it's the quick and the dead it's the it's alive or not it's it's this thing well, that and all right and now again without kind of going too deep on this does does darkness come from light or does light come from darkness and from from our point of view do um, I have to choose you don't have to choose <laughs> no. but but it but but there is this concept though that it, that we live in a universe where where there's a well, there's, there's both. I mean, it's like Anakin and Darth Vader, for God's sakes. I mean, let's break it down simply. No, <laughs> yeah, there's but, always but, dark but, and light. But for painting, and again, I I can't draw stick figures, so I found well, my way. All I can say is that I I needed to make something that had light in it, and right. then and then something literally popped into my head one day in my studio, really and truly unexpectedly, and it it's it looked like an idea, but it was a visual image that I was seeing in my head it was it was like three or four sticks in front of water so you could you would see like a tiny bit of shoreline it was a vertical image and I got really excited I didn't even have a canvas or anything flat in my studio to make it on because I just had a a bunch of junk that I was making assemblages out of and I had to like glue one by fours together and I drew it out and then I, I took whatever paint was like left over from my school years and I, right. I just I made this thing and, and it just happened and then I looked at it and it was a, not only a painting which I hadn't anticipated but it was a landscape painting and I was like oh, well that's what I wanted to do but oh my god now I'm painting gosh April is just so so amazing to be able to talk about her art and make it so clear to us how she wanted to bring light in mm. um but you know it's one of the most popular shows that we've ever had that we, when you go on to uh, to our old podcast cuz the stuff is archived one of our most listened to shows Alex Sokolow was our show featuring Julia Fowler and Sam Sokolow your brother yeah well again well, it's 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 we're, we're, we may may be guilty of gilding the lily but uh it has been such a blessing to have a platform where I can uh we can but I yeah. can uh, offer my brother and his wife uh a chance to just kind of uh, tell their own journey. Uh, well, uh, she's extremely popular. Her what? What is it? Uh, uh, blanks. What? Well, blank Southern, Southern Women. The say. Southern Women Channel. And, yeah. and Julia's actually. Um, yeah. No. I mean, she's from South Carolina. She's from Gaffney, South Carolina. My brother uh, is from the same uh, building on 86th Street in the West Side. Which, by the way, <laughs> I, I found out only recently. Uh, Duke Ellington uh, lived in and left just before my fam- folks moved in. Maybe he into that apartment. Uh, no, and he was in the penthouse. We, oh. we were, we're actually on the 13th floor there, which New York City apartments don't no. generally have the number 13 on it. But we were the number 13. Uh, but anyway, Sam and Julie came on 
you know, my brother is a is a great uh, producer. They still they both still live out in um, in Venice Beach, California. He and, produced the Genius uh, yeah, with Nat Geo. Yeah, right. Uh, right. Emmy nominated twice for uh, the Genius series on Nat Geo, and and Julia again uh, her authentic voice led her to the Southern Woman Channel where she does a podcast. She's written books. Um, she, so we had a lot of fun talking about how Southern women say certain things. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and, and, and uh, l let me say like the one thing I learned is that uh, when people talk about Southern hospitality, it's, it's that Southerners in a very polite way, let you know that they're being nice to you. <laughs> I'm completely surrounded by a gaggle of Sokolos. <laughs> I don't know if they, you a are a murder gaggle. of Sokolos. A mess. We say a, a, a mess. A mess. A mess. A mess. Of Sokolos. This is a mess of Sokolos. <laughs> oh my God! They're a, it's a hot mess <laughs> of Sokolos. I love that. Well, let's talk about some of those uh, Southern expressions. Because I got to tell you something. I I dated a guy who was from Louisiana. Oh, when I first met him, he, for would, you. he tried <laughs> right. to assimilate into the New York Jewish like Upper West Side scene. And then the longer and then I got to know him- you weren't his cousin and he up with you. Hey now. Hey now. He started saying things like, yeah, hey now, right? He started saying things like, well, you're as cute as a speckled pup under a red wagon. That's or, or, right. I was like, where did that yeah, come from? You hotter like, oh, fish shit. oil. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Then, just, these things would just come out. Although, like, although about a year ago, uh, in like a weird Freaky Friday of marriage thing, we were home in Venice and there was a car accident outside our place. And I instantly grabbed my chest and went, oh, Lordy. And from the other room, I hear Julia be like, what the F? And I'm like, we have switched <laughs> personalities. We have been around each other long like, enough. I'm a Southern woman and she's a tough upper west side New Yorker. Right? <laughs> That's so, so, funny. so uh, yeah, let's talk about some of those fun expressions. Like, how do you cultivate and curate those at this point? Like, <laughs> yeah, some obviously curate. from your life, but like. Well, yes, I think, I think ultimately what happened was you know, I always talk Southern. I mean, that's just the way we talk. You know, we throw out those sort of Southern phrases, Southern proverbs, Southern philosophies. We throw these things out in general conversation. And honestly, I never really thought much about it until I moved to New York. Right. And then people were like, I would say something, people would laugh. And I was like, oh, is that funny? They were like, say it again. I was like, is that funny? And, <laughs> and, and I started, and then I'd have to explain sometimes. You is know, it true things. what they say about when, when a Southern woman says, oh, bless your heart? Well, bless your heart has many meanings, you see. Does it mean bless at you? No, it can. It can. <laughs> There's many meanings, you know. It can mean, you know, uh, uh, you know, I, I really genuinely feel badly for you. Like, oh, your daddy's in the hospital. Bless your heart. I really hate that for you, you know. And it really is, you know, pure. Heartfelt. And then it can be like, thank God it's you and not me. Like, oh, I heard you, you know, your roof caved in. Bless your heart, you know. <laughs> and, you, know <laughs> you know, and then it's, it can also be, you know, uh, you are a flaming idiot and I'm too polite to tell you so, you know. And how so would that, that sound? would be like, you know. Um, oh, you, you, you're having complications from your plastic surgery? Bless your heart. <laughs> <laughs> We're back. We're going to, uh, to take one more break. We just heard from uh, Sam... Sokolow and Julia Fowler, who are, uh, Sam is, of course, Alex's brother. When we come back, we're going to hear about my sister and her mom. Uh, yeah, which is fantastic. So, <laughs> so again, like, like we, we, we are blessed with having uh, families of people who have expressed themselves and, and cast their own shadows. And so Bridget, Bridget grows up, uh, you know, in, in the Upper West Side and, and out in, in the East End. Um, and, and she has a half-sister. Half Emma, uh, Emma Walton, Walton Hamilton, Hamilton yeah. 
who, who married uh, Steve Hamilton, and they, oh, they helped. They helped. Uh, really started uh, the theater in Sag Harbor. Yeah, they started Bay Street, Bay Street and yeah. now Steve is 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 you know helping with April Gornick uh, yep. to rejuvenate and reopen. Uh, hopefully, as we, as New York moves to Stage Four, uh, the movie theater in Sag Harbor. Stage, stage Four just doesn't sound good. I think they have to they have to spin that in a different way. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, but that's what we are still waiting. I agree with you. It should be branded differently. <laughs> oh, yeah. but that's what we're waiting but for. Branding really sucks. Uh, and and Emma and Emma's mom is Julie Andrews. And, right. And Julie Andrews is, uh, you know, I, I hate when people say she's a national treasure. She's an international treasure. Yes. Um, you know, if you we, actually, we were, we were nervous doing that interview. Oh, very nervous. <laughs> and I, I I was trying to get her to curse, and I was also trying to like. Get her to curse on my phone so I could keep that. <laughs> but she she was she was better than me. She um, she outbested you. But, but one of the things about Julie Andrews, which which I did not know, I mean, spectacular spirit and and uh, the journey that she that she went on in her life uh, is singular and unique. And yet everybody feels like they know her. Uh, but that you know, in 1967, eight ish, uh, she was the top selling. Um, out, you know, musician, um, you, you like uh, voice. She, yeah. she sold more records than the Beatles during that period because of the the, the sound of music, sound of music, and, and yeah. And so she, she's just there's so much. I would listen to that show every day. Well, let's take a little break. When we come back, we'll listen to a soundbite from that. You're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy and Alex. Song. Right now on WPPB at 11 a.m., 88.3, but next week, WLIW at 4 p.m. So make sure to change the uh, the a notice that you get on your Different calendar. Different bad time. <laughs> Different bad <bat> channel. channel. <laughs> we'll be right back after this. You kept journals, diaries well, for years. Uh, yes, for, for uh, on and off. But, but um, the years that I'm writing about, uh, happily, the diaries, were, I was keeping them. And uh, this is kind of the, from... the really big things. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's she what kept I wanted diaries to... on vacations, but not during the making of The Sound <laughs> of Music, as, for instance. As, as the band Gogo Bordello has in one of the lyrics, it's more than the truth, it actually happened. Right. Mm. There you well, go. But that's a very interesting point. I mean, just as, as we're talking about family and collaboration... Um, for you, Emma, to be looking at these diaries, what what does it con? Because a, a lot of this happened. Well, a lot of it happened also during your teenage years and teenage mother. You know, teenage <laughs> kids and their moms don't always see eye to eye. So, what is this kind of conjuring up for you in particular, looking at this stuff? Yeah, it's it's fascinating. It's very moving. I mean, I what I'm realizing, I think. People ask me often when they find out what we're doing, what I'm learning, what have I discovered that I didn't know before? And it's not as though there are any. I mean, we we've always had a really very connected relationship, and I think I pretty much know all the family secrets and always have. But so there's nothing. There's no great revelations in terms of facts. But what I have been deeply moved by in reading these diaries, because of course they do spend years that I was there, um, and certainly there are times when my point of view is quite different than hers, you know, of an event that happened. Mm -hmm. But what I've been really struck by is um, in those years where she's in her 30s and 40s and, and I'm in my you and know, on elementary and on. school. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, just last, this last decade. Huh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, she's, you know, she's juggling a lot. She's juggling parenting. She's juggling a marriage, a second marriage. She's juggling her career and all of this stuff. And there is a kind of um, innocence and... Um, confusion 
in the diaries, which is, of course, why one keeps the diaries to figure out stuff. But there's a kind of um, lovely innocence that when you're a kid and you look at your parent, you think, well, they're grown up. They, they must know what they're talking about. They must have all the answers, right? And now I realize being a parent myself and being much older than she was when she wrote those diaries, that actually we, we don't have it all figured out, you yeah, know? Yeah, and yeah, for sure. You know, much as I might have thought she did, she was figuring it out then, right. just as well, I'm I, figuring it out now. I think it's just a question of, of, of learning your whole life long. Uh, uh, it, it seems that nobody knows exactly how to be born or how to die and how to parent in between and, and how to grow up. And uh, it's just, I think, the most important, most valuable thing you could be in life. And I think we are, and that is curious. Yes, uh, and Emma so is, is wonderful at asking me questions and, and getting to the root of something, which I might want to uh, gloss over occasionally. So is it sort of like being in therapy but well, with your not, daughter? Not really. Um, but I think the other thing, particularly with the first book, you knew nothing about the war years or what it was like growing up during World War II. Uh, and, and I just think it was, you know, you sort of filled in all the pieces of the jigsaw for yourself. Yeah, that was more fact, you know, discoveries. Well, there's but there's also this, this is... thing that, I, and again, I, I say self-reflectively, um, the role you're asked to play as a child that you get success for as a child is kind of the role you're going to play for most of your life. Mm -hmm. And then you actually deal with life. And life doesn't necessarily want to treat you that way. <laughs> and that becomes the real tug or the fog that you might yeah. be well, talking about. Well, th if I can jump in, because obviously with Julie, with your first book, I mean, you were sort of, I don't want to say pushed into the limelight, but let's face it, you kind of, kind of were. I mean, you were very successful at a very young age, way yes. before Mary I always Poppins say that I grew up very late, but uh, although I was unbelievably and happily successful and you know, gratefully so, uh, at many things, my actual awareness of who I was and where I was heading and what I might want to do uh, came much, much later. It, it was all about absorbing and learning and watching. And But paradoxically, I think that's because you started working so early. So in a sense, you had a sort of an arrested development. You, you know, you, by, by the time you were 12, you were working professionally in mm. theater and then out on the road and touring and vaudeville and all of that. Right. And so, but it, it begs the question for me, which I'll go back to when you guys have collaborated, a lot of your collaboration are on children's books. Mm -hmm. And I don't see children's books as being written for children. Personally, I think they're books that are written for the parents. For, well, no, I think they're written to actually start to get at the biggest life lessons, and they are moments that parents and ch children can share. Mm -hmm. So very, very well put. Yeah, very well put. I like having yeah. him around. Yeah. yeah, that's why he gets the big. Also, bucks. we don't the, the we don't bucks. talk down to kids. We try to yeah. sort of uh, yeah. Um, treat them as my, my dad treated all of us as beloved equals and. I think he infused that into us too, into his kids. And it's so important not to condescend to your kids or treat them like little little things. Or to be, do the eugenics thing and treat them like little adults, because they're not that either. No, right. no. But, kids, but, but, but or compete. Right. So, yeah. so yeah, yeah. I, I, this is such a simple, this is almost like an interviewing question, but why that meeting? Why children's books? Why When you guys collaborated? For me, uh, I was listening to your early talk when you were just introducing the whole program, Alec, and falling into something that you never imagined that would be your main career thrust. And I think 
you know, the, the years on Broadway for me were all about learning my craft and finding out who I was and what I wanted to do. But I think it was the good fortune of being asked to do Mary Poppins that suddenly a lot of children invited me into their hearts in a way. And I was delighted, I found. Oh. And um, from that, people are inclined to slightly bracket you, uh, bracket one. Right. We and were talking about that uh, prior. Yes. Uh, I, and, and I'm going to say this again uh, as, a, as a compliment. I've had the chance to work with Tom Hanks a couple of times. And the thing with Tom that Great I... Guy. Right. Yeah. The th- well, here's what I think is it's got to be so difficult to sometimes be Tom Hanks because the entire world thinks they know you. Yes. And they know you for... The power the char- of the character, <laughs> of the that character, roles. the warmth and generosity, of and the man, over time, yeah. I think you have to become that. Yes, right. So, yes. And so and not just well, with Mary you know, Poppins, but with the other with side sound of music. it is though, there has to be that part of him in the movies for them to be as successful as they are. So there's that part of you, obviously. Right. I. Don't know, but but uh, <laughs> I mean, I, 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 well, if it works for Tom, it works for you. No, 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 no. But, no but, but, I, but, but, I claim to be terribly uh, fortunate in the people that have uh, guided me and mentored me, and and uh, they've just I've had phenomenal people uh, uh, helping. But I just think that two things: one, the first two big films I ever made were, of course, Poppins and The Sound of Music. But secondly, um, having uh, my own daughter, and then um, having other children in the family, because when I married Blake, he had two children already, so I became a stepmom, and then we adopted two children, and so we're five kids in the family as a family, and somehow children, the, the importance of, of writing for them became paramount. We're back. Man, that was great. One of the things about the show and the DNA of the show is, you know, I'm, I'm definitely... Uh, a happy idiot uh, when it comes to technology and stuff. Uh, and and when we started doing the show, the the first person that uh, w- was introduced to me, but is so essential to the show, uh, just existing, is is our producer engineer Kyle. Kyle Kyle Lynch um, really holds this a lot together with like a duct tape and a prayer. <laughs> yeah, and and Kyle is also another you know an example of somebody who is from this area. Uh, who who ha- lives in this area and uh, you know offers uh, a, a wonderful spirit uh, that I think oozes through the show. Yeah, it's been it's been really amazing and will hopefully continue to be amazing having uh, Kyle Lynch in in our corner, mostly as a silent uh, observer for many of our shows, but with such a you know he's going to be embarrassed to hear this, but I you know I really value his opinion. So a lot of times afterwards we will say like, hey Kyle, what did you think? And also if there are musical breaks, a lot of times or 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 some sound bite, it's Kyle who's come up with it. So when the show oh, yeah, is there, the music, the music, Kyle is just yeah. kills it with that. I know Absolutely. it's so amazing because we'll sometimes listen to the show, you know, because we just get to hear it raw, and then we'll listen to it when it's on the air. And Kyle has chosen the exact most perfect. I mean, he yeah, he yeah. digs up stuff that like no one else can do. So, you know, it's been a wonderful journey, and um, yeah, and much like the greater world, it's, we're now transitioning to hopefully a better situation. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's, uh, thank you for listening and, and, uh, enjoy the rest of your day. And please tune in next week when we will have W-L-I-W, a brand W-L-I-W, yeah, Long it's... Island's only NPR station. We're getting good at this. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we'll be on at 4 PM. We want to thank you so much. For we are the lead in to NPR's national 
all things considered. I believe we are. And so you, we are the appetite. We are <laughs> we the are watercress the, salad. We are the sprinkled <laughs> with a little lemon and olive oil. Oh, that sounds so good. Make me lunch. Yeah, for the <laughs> of culture that will oh, be following. Oh, man, I'm so hungry. Anyway, we want to thank you all so much for tuning in and, and stay with us uh, at 4 o'clock on WLIW next week when our guests are Richie Byrne and Jim Banks talking about United We Laugh, which is a comedy show and a talkback that deals with racism. It's very important and very funny. So yeah, absolutely. And, and again, for those listening, uh, thank you. and, and uh, you know, now is the time to show up, to listen, to be part of a bigger conversation. So everybody, please take care of yourselves, stay healthy, wear your mask, wash your hands, but also stand up and be heard. And stand, stay in touch with your friends like we've done all these years. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, everybody, be well and stay well. Memories of the past Be kind to one another Tell her you love her every day If you're angry about something, let it go If the kids are frightened Tell them not to be afraid But don't let them touch